0: I got to reflecting on what Josh Ross said last night. So far, we've had three outstanding keynotes from Josh, from Jonathan, and from Aaron. And I realized all three of these guys were born after I started preaching. (laughs) Which I only conclude can mean that my early preaching was so good that couples said, let's go make preachers. But I am pretty old school, man. I don't do my notes on an iPad. You know, I'm not that guy yet. I had an interesting experience. Um, I was the opening night keynoter at the ACU lectureship about a year or two ago. And... Uh, I'm getting there with Jack Reese, who was the dean of the Bible department, and a couple of other people. We're about to go up on the stage, and we have the person there that's going to lead us in worship, and the person there that's going to read Scripture. And, of course, I'm there, and Jack is there. And we're going to have a time of prayer before we go up to lead this awesome worship service. And they had picked a student to read Scripture right before I spoke. And this kid comes up, and he's all perplexed and disturbed. I can't read Scripture. I can't read Scripture. Why not? My phone's dead. So I said, well, well, could we get you a Bible? And he's like, yeah, that'll work. That'll work. (laughs) So we got him a Bible. So that's still what I'm going to use. So if you want to use your phones, that's just fine with me. But I'm going to use my Bible. And we're going to look at a couple of Jesus sermons today that blistered some folks. and Got him in some trouble. So we're doing this series called What Jesus Hates. And I know that a lot of you, if you weren't here yesterday, you don't like the idea of hating Jesus in the same sentence. But I think I made a case yesterday. The Bible isn't afraid to say there are some things God just hates. The problem is we want to make God hate what we hate and baptize our hate. And that's a dangerous thing to start doing. So instead, let's let Jesus show us what to hate. And so I just read all four Gospels one day and just wrote down all the conflict passages of Jesus. Every time Jesus was that, and by the way, it's a pretty long list. And I started to notice what are the things that Jesus really dislikes. And I concluded Jesus hates anything that gets in the way of God's love. What we're going to talk about today I'm the most nervous about of these three sessions. By the way, we're going to close tomorrow. I really hope you can come tomorrow. because I want to talk about the thing Jesus hates the most, and it may surprise you what I conclude. But we're going to talk about today the thing that came up the most in those readings, okay? We're going to talk today about toxic religion. Most of Jesus' conflict were with religionists. And so we're going to try to conclude why jesus had such a problem with toxic religion so let me start with the story of a guy who wins a lottery he gets a ticket to the super bowl he's so pumped but he gets to the game he realizes he is up in the corner in the end zone he's closer to the blimp than he is to the field so he's watching the game in his binoculars and he notices about 20 rows up 50 yard line middle aisle there's an empty seat so after the first quarter is over, he figures, what can it hurt? So he sneaks past a couple of security guards, goes down that aisle, 20th row, 50-yard line, says to the guy, is anyone sitting here? He says, no, help yourself. He can't believe his good fortune. So he sits in this awesome seat, 20 rows up, 50-yard line, Super Bowl. It says a few plays later, I can't believe someone didn't use this seat. And the man says, well, actually, that seat belongs to me. It was for my wife. She she passed away recently. This is the first Super Bowl in 37 years we haven't been to together. He says, I'm so sorry. And still, I'm I'm surprised you couldn't get a a good friend or a relative to come with you. He said, oh, they're all at the funeral. Well, the... um, (laughs) Sometimes you have this moment where you're somewhere and you think... Am I doing here? <laughs> Why am I here? Okay, Have you ever left church? Fill it that way? Why am I doing this? Why am I here? Because here's a reality. Um, religion can do a lot more harm than good sometimes. I know you've heard the story probably of the little kid and he's standing next to the pastor out in the foyer of the beautiful church building and there's this really elegant plaque in the central place in the foyer with a list of names on it. And the little kid says to the pastor, he says, what is this? He says, son, very reverently, this plaque holds the names of all the men from our church who have died in the service. And the little boy says, which one, first or second? <laughs> Religion can be deadly. Now, before I get started, let me just say this. Of all the three days, this is the class I'm the most nervous about, and here's why. Because most of us have spent most of our lives doing religion. So it is very hard for us to hear a critique of religion and not immediately get defensive. Because I am an insider. In the religion game. But I don't want to be defending. What Jesus found offending. And what I think Jesus particularly finds offending. Is when he consistently takes the rap for bad religion. You know especially among younger people today. That the new thing is to say. I'm not religious but I'm spiritual. Religion has become a new four letter word. How come? I remember years ago. Hearing he Landon Saunders, give this illustration of a friend of his that had been a missionary in Africa. And you're trying to connect to the culture. And he notices many of the women would travel long distances with things on their heads that they carried, water or supplies. And he thought, what, what a difficult way to do your daily chores. If I could find a way to alleviate that, I could have a bridge to this culture. So he calls home to his church and he has them send over some wheelbarrows. How convenient would this be if they could use these wheelbarrows instead of carrying everything on their heads? So he sends them to the village thinking this is a great way to build a bridge. And he comes back a few days later and there are all the wheelbarrows lined up in a nice row unused. And he went to someone in the village and said, why aren't they using the wheelbarrows? And they said, well, they tried. But when they put everything in the wheelbarrow and then picked it up and put it on their head, it was just (laughs) way too much to carry. And a lot of people feel like I have enough burden in my life without adding the weight of religion. Religion is taxing. It's hypocritical. It's unrelated to real life needs. All it did was make me feel guilty or make me feel inadequate. And I've already got enough to carry without adding more. And the sad thing is, it's keeping a lot of people from seeing Jesus. Because they don't realize he was very critical of really bad religion. And religion's defenders were very critical of him. See, it was religion Jesus was talking about. When he said, you come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. It was their religious system that was wearing them out. He says, you take my yoke, you learn from me. I'm gentle, I'm humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden's light. Like I said, we tend to defend religion because we are insiders. We need to hear what religion can become that Jesus hates. I'm going to primarily focus on two of his sermons that would get most preachers fired today. One we'll just look at a few verses from. It's in Matthew 23. And out of that long, long, blistering sermon against the religion of his day, here's a few principles. Jesus hates religion when it focuses on rules. Because toxic religion makes conformity a higher goal than conversion. And so he says they make strict rules and they try to force people to obey them, but they're unwilling to help those who struggle under the weight of their rules. Now, there's a couple of big problems with rule-based religion. Number one, you're constantly coming up with tricky rulings. Now, I don't know if you notice that because we're the insiders But our heritage is full of tricky rulings. I remember, for example, as a boy, I'm about 12 years old, The little church I grew up in South Dallas. Well, one of our rules is you can't have a choir because Baptists have choirs. So we can't have choirs. But another one of our rules is we're supposed to care for the orphans and the needy. So there's an orphan's home in Texas doing a really good work and they're bringing some boys through, visiting churches to raise support for their very good work. And what are the boys doing? They're singing songs as a choir. So now we got a dilemma because our rulings are in conflict. We can't have choirs, but we're supposed to help those boys. So we get together and we form a new rule that they can sing as a choir in the church if we have a closing prayer first. (laughs) And so we did. And I'm trying to figure this out. I'm about 12 and I'm thinking, okay, let me get this right. They are singing songs about God and they are singing songs to God. And they are singing to the people of God and they're singing in the house of God. But it's okay because we had a prayer and dismissed God. I'm 12 years old and I'm thinking that's goofy. And a lot of our rules look absolutely goofy to outsiders. You have to be born into this system to even begin to relate to some of our rulings. And this is one problem with rule-based religion. It comes up with tricky rules. And another problem, rule-based religion tends to be fear-based religion. It's a burden because you have this haunting doubt that your obedience hasn't yet appeased God. Because the mantra of religion is I obey the system. Therefore, I'm accepted by God. And here's the problem with that. The idea, you see, is God is going to judge between the people that kept the rules and the people that didn't keep the rules. And the non-rule keepers are going to be sent to hell. But heaven is not a place for people that are afraid of getting sent to hell. Heaven's a place for people that really love God. And rule-based religion doesn't produce love for God. It produces one of two things, guilt or anger. You're going to feel guilty because you're not measuring up and keeping the rules. Or you're going to get angry because you feel like you've kept the rules and life still kicked you in the face. And so you find yourself thinking, Not necessarily verbalizing it, but deep down thinking, okay, God, I kept the rules. So how come my kids didn't turn out right? How come my marriage isn't working? How come I haven't gotten the promotion yet? How come I've got a biopsy tomorrow? And you live your life either guilt or anger underneath the service because you're doing the rules. And life isn't working out. Jesus didn't come to replace old rules with new rules. He came to offer grace. See, here's the difference. Religion says, you obey, you're accepted. Jesus says, you're accepted, obey. And that's a huge difference. You see, let me talk about my life. We've all been to these conferences where people give testimonies about their conversion experience. You know, I... Uh, was deep into drugs and alcohol, and then I met Jesus. I had a huge porn addiction, then I met Jesus. I, my life was just drifting, and then I met Jesus. That's not my story. Uh, when my folks came to faith when I was in about second grade, most of my life I've been raised in church. Most of my life I've been raised with the Bible on the table. Most of my life I've been raised to love God. But I have a conversion story. It happened while I was in college at ACU. Really, it happened more sitting under the preaching of Linda Anderson than it did actually from college. But here's what happened. Have to became want to. That's my conversion. The time in my life where grace began to dawn on me and I began to live out my following of Jesus because I wanted to. Because I wanted this man and I wanted this life and not because I had to because I wouldn't want to go to hell. Jesus hates joyless, dutiful, fear-based religion because it keeps people from finding him. So, what kind of religion does Jesus hate? The kind that's focused on rules. Second, the kind that is centered on self. You have this really strange story. Uh, the only time I can think of a miracle of Jesus that was destructive where he 's uh, walking and he 's hungry and he sees a fig tree and it 's blooming and, and, and that, time, that time of year fig trees didn 't typically bloom, but a bloom in fig trees means it 's supposed to be fixed. if there 's leaves it's supposed to be fixed, when it goes over there there 's no fix. He curses the tree. But you have to read in the way Mark 's written the story, what happens next. He goes into the temple. And he cleanses the temple of the people that have made a mockery of the house of God. And then he comes back out and the disciples notice the tree's dead. And it's all a metaphor for the kind of religion that Jesus hates. That's As as Matthew puts it in 23.5, everything they do is for show. Toxic religion calls attention or feeds self instead of God. It's all leaves, it's no fruit. Um, there's a great preacher in about the 1500s in Italy called Savonarola, and he notices every day this elderly woman that's bowing before a statue of Mary, and, and, and he notices her devotion. He mentions to an older priest how devoted she is, And the older priest shakes his head and says, "No." Now years ago, the sculptor needed a young woman to be Mary and model for that statue, and she was the woman, and she comes every day to worship the image of who she was. And religion has this very, very dangerous, subtle way of seducing us into a path of worship of self that is baptized in language that makes us think we're worshiping God. Self-centered religion will produce two toxins. One is judgmentalism. You see, a judgmental spirit... Is man-centered because it compares myself to other men for validation? It's one reason why we have trouble-loving sinners. Because man-centered religion needs sinners. I need people to look down on to validate the way I'm doing my walk with God. And so it produces judgmentalism. But here's the other thing. It produces materialism. Now, when I say materialism, I'm not saying so much it produces a hunger for stuff, although it can do that. There's a lot of religion out there that basically endorses the American lust for stuff. But what it produces is a kind of a faith where the chief aim is not the glory of God, but the good of self. Americans can turn anything into a consumer product. Now, every preacher and pastor here understands this. I don't get, well, let me tell you, here's the call I do get. And I get it all the time. We're new in town. We're looking for a church. Tell me what your church offers. What does your church do for children? What does your church do for teenagers? What does your church do for in other words, how is your church going to best meet my needs? some no, churches want to meet needs. I understand that. Here's the call I never get. Here are my gifts. Here's how we best serve in the kingdom. Do you need us? I never get that call. You ever, preachers, ever gotten this call from somebody? Well, you know, the reason we don't come to church anymore is because we were gone for six weeks and nobody even noticed. You ever get that call? Here's what you want to say. Make sure you have job security. Here's what you want to say. You want to say, well, you must not be serving anybody. Because I guarantee you, if you came every week and you were serving people in our church and you were gone six weeks, we would have noticed. But we don't say that because as preachers and pastors, we've been seduced into this idea. My job is to run myself ragged, keeping unhappy, whiny Christians happy and promise we'll do a better job next week of serving you. I'm worn out with it. I'm just just worn out with the spirit of American Christianity that says, you better do a good job next week because if you don't, there's a franchise down the road and we'll go check them out. Well, just go on and be happy. Make them miserable. (laughs) Jesus opposes religion that uses God for personal advancement. We don't go to God to get things from God. We go to God to get God. Uh, Here's how God convicted me. I I remember, I don't know how this happens. That was about a year and a half ago, when I was working out. God God speaks to me a lot when I work out. I think when there's a lack of oxygen in my brain, I hear him better. But, But God put on my heart Exodus 33. Now, you remember in Exodus 33, the people have sinned. They've built the calf. God has rebuked the whole situation. And then God says this to Moses, you take the people and take them to the land. You know that land, the good land, the promised land, the land with milk and honey, the land with that's everything they dreamed of. God says, you take them. And then he says this, but I'm not going. And Moses says, I don't want to go if you don't go. And I was reflecting on that while I'm working out and I just felt like the Lord said to me, okay, Rick. Would you want the promised land? If I wasn't there. Think about this. If religion. Could offer you. The life you've always wanted. Obedient children. Cost of living raises. Every year. A secure retirement. Good health. If religion could offer you that. Without. A conscious daily awareness. Of the presence of God. Would you take it? Do we really want God? Or do we really want the life we hope we'll get if we're religious? You see, the gospel says the best thing you can do for yourself is die to it. And religion will never tell you that. So what does Jesus hate? Jesus hates religion that focuses on self, that focuses on rules. He hates religion that majors and minors. Jesus didn't criticize religion in his day because it lacked passion, but because it put passion in the wrong places. And all you have to do is challenge the status quo to find out how passionate religionists can be. They had enough passion to kill every prophet in the Old Testament. Because toxic religion will value tradition over transformation. You hypocrites, Jesus says. You'll you'll tithe your spices. But you'll neglect justice, mercy, faithfulness. Think about our own heritage. Have religious... Issues, and I'll say again, most of our issues are issues only non-persecuted, affluent people can afford to have. Have religious issues consumed our greatest energies and passions instead of the more important matters, justice, mercy, faithfulness? The test of any religious system is this. Is it producing and transformed people? I read an article by this pastor who said he went to this huge conference. It was a great conference at this big old giant church. The church was so big that in the parking lot they had banners on the light poles on the fruits of the spirit. This is the love section. This is the peace section. This is the joy section. So you could remember where you parked your car. He said the conference was great. But he couldn't help but notice when it was over and people were getting out how they acted in the parking lot. He says goodness totally cut off gentleness. joy honked at peace (laughs) he said you should have looked at the stare love gave self-control the question is as people are going to the parking lot and into their lives and into their cities is what we're doing transforming anybody this is one of the difficulties about uh what i do for a living most men, we're goal-oriented, and we like to believe that we're doing something that matters and, and we, that we're making some project. But in my, in my career, in my job, how do you measure if I'm doing a good job? Now, here, here's what we can measure. I can, we can measure how many people come on Sunday or we can measure how many dollars are given. We can measure how many people got baptized, and those aren't bad things to measure, by the way. But how do you measure if a guy is being less of a jerk during the week to his wife and his kids because he comes to your church? How do you measure if that teacher at school is being more bold in witnessing to her fellow teachers in the break room because she's hearing the gospel that you're preaching? How do you measure if that teenage girl has enough sense of who she is in Christ to say no to that boy that wants to tell her who she ought to be? How do you measure that? But in the end, religion that isn't producing life change is leaves. It's not fruit. And then Jesus hates religion that bypasses the heart. In one of his older books, Mike Cope had this great story when he preached for the college church in Searcy. He had some uh, students over for lunch one day after church. A couple of boys, a couple of girls. And uh, it's so long ago that back then the boys wore sport coats to church on Sunday morning. So he says, take your coat off, let's have lunch. No, I don't want to. No, take, take your coat off. No, I don't want to. Finally, one of the boys pulls Mike off. He says, all I ironed last night was my collar and my cuffs. <laughs> you know, every college guy knows that trick. He don't want to take his coat off. And that's what religion often does, is it only irons the parts that show. You hypocrites, he says. You're like tombs painted white. Outside the tombs look fine, but inside, you're full of bones of dead people and all kinds of unclean things. And it's the same with you. People look at you and think you're good. But inside, you are full of hypocrisy and evil. So you see, the other day, I'm driving back to my house from work, and I get pulled over by a cop. And I'm thinking, okay, I know I'm not speeding. This is not a school zone. I didn't run a red light. My inspection sticker's valid. I roll down the window, officer, what's the problem? He's got his citation uh, thing out, he's writing me up. He said, well... I noticed when you went past that crowded intersection there that there was no love in your heart for your other drivers. (laughs) Now, why does that never happen? Here's why. The officer and the law could care less how I feel about the other drivers. Just obey the rules. And sadly, some of us grew up in churches where you could use the N-word when you saw black people. But just make sure you take communion every Sunday. Okay? Where the heart was not the focus. I think that's why probably the most religious man Jesus ever had a serious, important conversation with was the man to whom he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. Jesus said the solution's not better religion. It's regeneration. It's the Holy Spirit working from the inside out. It's a completely different kind of yoke. But it'll fill you up instead of wear you out. You see, as I was reading all these stories, it dawned on me, it's not... Jesus plus religion, it's Jesus or religion. Jesus plus ruins everything. And so, when I taught this to my church, I just was blunt. Some of you need to repent of religion. It's possible to be very religious and never accept the gospel. It's possible that our churches are full of religiously lost people. And... We can get defensive about that. Or we can get honest. And it's possible. That some of our friends. And some of our kids. Have mistaken toxic religion for Jesus. And they need to be told there's a difference. Um, Josh McDowell who probably has done more work on college campuses in the last 30 years than any evangelical I know of, says when he was in college, he was a pretty reprobate, immoral man. But he noticed this one young woman that was a part of a Christian group on campus that he had some classes with that just seemed to have something in her life that he was missing in his. And he just asked her, he asked her what it is about her. And she says, well, I've, I've found Jesus Christ. And he said that he told her, don't give me any of that religion stuff. To which she quickly replied, I didn't say anything about religion. I said I found Jesus Christ. And that started his search and his journey. Jesus said, learn from me. He's not afraid of scrutiny. Don't be afraid to say to any person that's burned on religion, well, check out Jesus. Just check him out and ask if that isn't the kind of life you'd like to have. Take him for a test drive. All right, I've saved one point now for the last kind of religion he hates because I want to spend most of my time here. I don't know if it's the most important point, but maybe for our context, for our particular heritage, it's the one where we tend to get the most defensive. So open your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who'd come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. Now the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as washings of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? And he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it's written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you may have otherwise received from me is Corban, that is a gift devoted to God, you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that. And again, Jesus called the crowd to them and he said, listen to me, everybody, understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of a man that makes him Unclean. I believe Jesus hates traditional church. and Obviously, I need to explain what I mean by that. I'm not here to bag on tradition. Traditions have a place. Traditions preserve a legacy. At their best, they have a noble purpose. They can give us a sense of identity, a sense of rootedness, Traditions can give us an awareness that we're part of a bigger story. They come in all shapes and sizes. My guess is your families all have some traditions that you observe at holidays or at other seasons. My guess is that your church has some traditions. For example, i am in my church for 23 years. um, And at our church, when someone is baptized, they typically began as a congregation to sing the song, We Love You With The Love Of The Lord. Now, I don't know how that got started. It's just kind of a given It's going to happen. It's a tradition. No other church has to do that. I would never preach that if you don't do that, you're displeasing God. It's a church tradition. Your church probably has some too. I have personal traditions. Um, Almost every time I preach at home, I end my sermon with a prayer. It's a personal tradition. I've been doing it for years. I I don't think all preachers have to do that. If I taught a preaching class, which I would probably never do, but if I did, I wouldn't teach the students to do that. It's a personal tradition. And traditions can be meaningful as long as they're recognized as merely traditions. Traditions are made for man. The problem is when we start to think that man is made for traditions. That becomes traditionalism. And traditionalism is sick because it produces hypocrisy. And Satan has used traditionalism to keep people claiming to represent God focused on peripheral matters instead of core issues. Traditionalism seduces people into believing their spiritual distinctness can be measured by external observances. Now, this is what Jesus critics have done with their devotion to the tradition of ceremonial washings. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I'll challenge you. Go back, get your old testaments, and start reading what Jesus I mean what God said about washing. You're not going to lead a long tablet. Here's what God said The priests are to wash their hands and their feet when they go into the tabernacle as a symbol that God demands purity. For those that would seek his presence. That's it. That's all Moses said. Priest, hands, feet, when you're going to the tabernacle. Now, from that, the rabbis through the years had deduced, well, if it's good for the priest, why wouldn't it be good for everybody? And if it's good for everybody, why wouldn't it be good for lots of other places? And if it's good for lots of other places, why wouldn't it be good for lots of other things? And before they were through, in their Mishnah, they had 186 pages of rules and interpretations of how you were to wash, to be right with God. Now, obviously, you got two huge problems here. Problem number one, God didn't write that book. And problem number two... You could follow every page of that book and still have an unwashed heart. And this is religious greatest criticism. That it produces judgmental people who, in terms of heart, are no more transformed than the people they criticize. You hypocrites, he says. You honor God with your lips but not your hearts. You let your tradition trump the word of God. Now, sermons like this got Jesus killed. The Jews were fanatically devoted to their traditions. One of the stories floating around that day was a rabbi that got arrested by the Romans. And every day they'd bring him a little bit of bread and a little bit of water. And instead of taking the water to drink to stay hydrated, he'd take the water to pour on his hands to wash before he ate the bread. And he almost died of dehydration. And the Jews would say, look at him, how devoted he is. And they hear this sermon, and Jesus says, that's dumb. (laughs) Drink the water. (laughs) I don't think Jesus is opposed to churches having traditions. He's opposed to traditional church because it asks the wrong questions. It emphasizes the wrong things. Traditional church tends to be full of what I call single-issue voters. You know what I mean they could care less about everything else but there's one thing they are hyper on and you better line up there or you're in for a fight (coughs) abraham lincoln one time was visiting a field hospital where the union soldiers were uh, laying in bed and just before he got there a woman had come from a local church and was passing out tracks and he comes up to one bed and there's a boy there reading this track and laughing and the president asked him son why are you laughing and he holds up the track and it was called the sin of dancing and he throws back the sheets and lost both of his legs. And this is what a lot of people perceive about us. We're talking about stuff that is so important to us and is completely irrelevant to the world they're trying to navigate. That you would have to be born inside us and live inside us for years to begin to even imagine why us is talking about that. So Jesus' words are a needed rebuke for every generation because we're always tempted, we're always seduced into measuring spiritual purity through tradition. So let me give you three warning signs to look for about tradition. Be careful when it starts to display scripture. You've let go of the commands of God, you're holding on to traditions of men. Okay, now listen closely to what I'm about to say, because I'm about to say a whole lot more than I'm about to say. (laughs) His critics took a subject on which the Bible was silent. They then created a whole book of inferences and assumptions. Then they bound that book on the people with the same authority as the Scripture. Now, aren't you glad that doesn't happen anymore? <laughs> and so, uh, when I came to the church where I'm at now, back in 1989, uh, my father and mother uh, came to visit at Christmas time. My father and mother raised me in churches of Christ, like I said, from about the second grade on, and, and we spent most of our time in. Pretty legalistic churches, pretty sectarian churches. We didn't know we were legalistic and sectarian, but we were. But it affected us. And so he comes, it's around Christmas time. I'm preaching that evening. It's a Sunday night service. I was preaching. Before I preach, we had about 20 of our fifth graders come up on the steps of the church, and they sang a couple of songs about the birth of Jesus. And they sat down, I preached. It was a nice evening. I'm giving my dad a tour of the building. and we get to my office. I want to show him where my office is. He comes in, he closes the door. He explodes. And he just lets me have it. because he could not believe that we had a choir in church. And what am I thinking? And he even said, you ever thought that maybe I know a lot more Bible than you do? And I really wanted to say, yeah, and you don't. But I couldn't, and it was just tense. I I just remembered, honor your father, honor your father. But it was hurtful. For the next five months, my father and I didn't communicate. So then in May, I'm flying up to the Chicago area where my dad and mom lived at that time. He was uh, in his last years of a career with Sears and Robot. I call my mother and I said, I'm going to be in the area speaking at a conference. And you're going to find out I'm up there. Do you want me to come by? Oh, yeah. Your dad wants to talk to you. Honor your father. Honor your father. <laughs> So I get there. I get there that night. My dad's coming in from a business trip. Mom says, he wants to see you in the morning. Don't leave till... He can talk to you, okay, I get up in the morning, I'm at breakfast, my dad walks in, honor your father, honor your father. He takes a yellow tablet about that thick and flops it on the table and says to me, says, I owe you an apology. Here's what my dad had done. From January to May, he would get on the train in Naperville, Illinois and ride 40 minutes to downtown Chicago and read his Bible and ride it 40 minutes back. He started in Genesis And he wrote down on that yellow tablet every verse in the Bible on worship. Every one. And then he said to me, he said, there is nothing in the Bible that says a group of people can't stand up and sing to me. And then he said this. He said, it makes me angry that for 30 years, I thought it was wrong because people stood up and told me it was wrong. And then he said, just reading my Bible, I don't see what's wrong with instrumental worship. I said, Dad, we're gonna take it a step at a time today. (laughs) We took a really good step today. We're gonna just park there and be happy. So I get the occasional encouraging email from somebody who will say something like, Wouldn't you be happier somewhere else besides the Church of Christ? But here's why I stay. Because my heritage is filled with people like my dad. Who really, really are good people. But who sometimes have been victims of bad teaching who have been told that the man-made book was the same thing as the God-made book. And if they will open the God-made book, they'll do what's right. But it takes sometimes someone with enough courage to stand up and expose the man-made book. And that's what Jesus did. It's difficult, isn't it? This is one of the biggest challenges for church leaders today, to mature our people enough to recognize the traditions we've created, to endorse them when they bless, but to confront them when they begin to trump the mission of God. Amen. And so I remember early in my ministry, at, at uh, then it was Richmond Hills, now we're called The Hills, an elder came up to me one Sunday and I could tell he was upset. Rick, this is the second straight week you've ended our service without a closing prayer. I said, no, we had a closing prayer we sang, and I meant a song we sang, which is a prayer. No, that's a song that's a prayer, but that's not a closing prayer. We always have a closing prayer. And there's a few people, and they're really upset we're not having a closing prayer. And I said, yeah, but you know that there's nothing that says that we have to have a closing prayer. I know that, but they won't be upset if we just do it, so why don't we just do it? I said, we could go that way. Or we could use this as a teachable moment to mature our people, to recognize the difference between tradition, devotion to a tradition and the word of God. And that's what we chose to do. It is liberating to live appreciating tradition without ever allowing it to trump the mission in fact, sometimes I tell folks, I want to live my fight, my faith with so much freedom and so much joy, uptight Christians view me suspiciously. <laughs> so, when is tradition wrong, when it starts to display scripture, when it starts to dismiss people? Okay, we, 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 we have an amazing way to baptize exclusivism. Um, I go and preach sometimes we have a really active ministry in tarrant county jails and the jails have been awesome they they let us show dvds of our our assemblies and my preaching uh, all over the place and so uh, you know I'm not a big deal I know I'm not a big deal but to the inmates when I show up it's a big deal because pastor rick is here in person and the last time I was there these two awesome hispanic brothers pulled me aside and said pastor rick pastor rick do you know there's not going to be any women in heaven I said, no, I, I did I've never seen that verse. He said, can you show me that verse? Yeah. He turned to Revelation 8, verse 1. And then he opened the seventh seal, and there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. <laughs> now they were teasing, and it's just an inference, but Isn't it amazing how we find ways to come up with rulings that allow us to baptize the exclusion of people? He says, it's amazing to me. You have found a way to baptize the refusal of help to your parents. You've found a way to call refusing to help your parents devotion to God. Look with me real quickly over at Luke 11, another story similar, starting in verse 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee noticed now, this time it wasn't the disciples. The Pharisee noticed Jesus did not first wash before the meal, and he was surprised. And the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Here's the real test of your tradition. Is it helping you love other people? Or is it keeping you walled away from other people? You see, my sharpest critics in my ministry have been those who have attacked my allegiance to Church of Christ traditions. Never my allegiance to people. When our church began worshiping some of our services instrumentally, 90% of the emails I got were really positive and encouraging from Church of Christ people, but 10% were so ugly they were almost unspeakable. How do you explain an elder in Oklahoma saying if you got murdered it would be too good for you, or people who who hope you and your children go to hell? Nobody ever wrote and said, how much are you doing for the poor? Nobody ever wrote and said, are you sharing your faith with the people that bring you to iced tea at the restaurant? Nobody ever wrote and said, how many widows have you been to see lately? It was my allegiance to a tradition that was the judge of my walk with God. Not my allegiance to people. And Jesus says, you got that completely backwards. Go give what's inside the dish to the poor. Then you'll be right with God. It's not how clean your hands are. See, I think the test of any tradition, is it helping me love God? Is it helping me love my neighbor? See, and that gets to the real problem. Our problem is we... ...get to thinking that traditions can dispense righteousness. See, what's underneath this whole controversy is this. What makes a man clean before God? Traditional church confuses ritual and gospel. Tradition can bless, but it cannot save. Jesus didn't come to replace old traditions with new traditions. He came to replace old hearts with new hearts. All tradition can do is polish the outside... See, I think when Jesus attacks tradition, he's making a compelling argument, not for the necessity of tradition, but the necessity of new birth. We're made right with God, Paul says, by placing faith in Jesus Christ. It's like the story of the little boy that got all dirty playing in the mud before Sunday school and his teacher was upset with him because his clothes were filthy. She says, son, don't you know the Bible says cleanliness is next to what? He says, it's next to impossible. (laughs) Well, actually, he's wrong. It is impossible. Cleanliness is impossible apart from God. It requires the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. And that is a work that comes from the inside out. For the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. I could go on and on and on, but I've got to bring this to a close. So I'm going to just say one more thing. I will tell you one email I get all the time from across the country. And it's parents in my generation and those older than me who see their children leaving the heritage they were raised in. Don't raise your hand because I already know what the hand would look like. If I asked you, have your children remained in churches of Christ or have the children of your good friends done the same? And I understand that. I really do understand that. I've got three children. But you know what? I did the same thing you did. I've tried to raise my children to love Jesus. Because isn't transformation more important than tradition? And I love my heritage. But at the end of the day, the heart of the matter is still the matter of. Of the heart. And if your children are following Jesus, and if they're pursuing Him with a whole heart, even if it's not at a place that has the same traditions, bless them. And I say to you, well done. Because what matters is having a washed heart. And only Jesus can do that.